Hey, everybody. Happy Holy Thursday. Uh, my name is Meredith, and uh, genuinely, this is like legit one of my favorite places to get to come hang out and get to preach. Um, I really do, really do love y'all for real. Um, I love Clemson. I love FCA. I love spring. God is back. Amen. Um, I'm going to go ahead and tell y'all tonight, uh, I'm going to go ahead and tell you up front like what my goal is. Is that cool? My goal is actually just, I don't want to over speak tonight. Said very little preachers ever. But I really, there's some things that are like just too holy to over talk about. You know what I'm saying? And um, even the like goal of tonight's message is not even necessarily to be like activating. You know, like, here's the three points and here's the thing you should do out of here to follow Jesus. Those, those messages have their place. They're important. Um, but even as I was praying over tonight, the word that I just kept hearing was captivating, captivating, captivating. And so my prayer tonight, you may not leave here with anything to do, but my prayer is that we would all truly leave captivated by Jesus Christ. My goal is that tonight, my prayer is that tonight, God would expand our wonder, um, our awe of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. My friend Tad, um, he leads worship with me. We've been doing it together a long time and we had rehearsals Monday night for Easter as every other church is. Matter of fact, they had another rehearsal tonight that I'm missing to get to be with y'all, so thank you. Um, but he said this on Monday to like get our, our time started, and he said, you know, one of the dangers is, is that we become too familiar with a God that we actually barely know. And that's been like hitting me in the gut all week. Because we... Y'all, how many, maybe you're new here. If you are, welcome. Maybe you're, you know, you've never really sat in these kinds of environments before, but I would, I would bet that most of us have sat in environments like this plenty of times. Heard plenty of preaches. Um, some good, some okay. Um, both, maybe from me. <laughs> but... I don't know about you, a lot of times the thing that actually changed my path are not when I like knew what to do, but when Jesus just captivated me. And in this environment, I don't want us to just become so familiar with what Easter is normally about that we miss like getting caught up again in wonder of who Jesus actually is. Does that make sense? So, yeah, I don't want to overspeak, but I'm like, my prayer is that we would just get captivated. So even before we start, let's actually do this. I mean, you can go ahead and close your eyes from the top. I'm just going to ask a question. Nobody looking around? Just by a show of hands. You say, you know what? I do feel like I've grown pretty, pretty like familiar and kind of numb to this Easter story and who Jesus is. 
And I would love it if Jesus would captivate me again. If that's you, would you just raise your hand? And leave him up. I'm just going to pray for us. Holy Spirit, you see these hands. God, I just believe you're here. Man, you're so here. And I can't think of many things you love more than a bunch of people raising their hands saying, would you show yourself to me? So we're calling you out on your promise that those who draw near to you, you will draw near to them. So this is us raised hands saying, I want to draw near again. Come and draw near to me. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I believe he's going to do that. So today is Holy Maundy Thursday, is what a lot of, you know, the saints for centuries have, have said. Um, and this is the day as we lead up to Easter um, that a lot happens, actually. Jesus washes the disciples' feet. Are you kidding me with that? Uh, what kind of king does that? Our king does that. Uh, this is where he institutes the Lord's Supper. Um, he does some, some massive teachings around a table tonight, but then he does the thing that we're going to talk about mainly tonight. He prays. And it's in this prayer that I'm going, that I'm believing that we're going to get captivated um, by who Jesus is again. Uh, so if you want to, if you have your Bibles, you can turn to John 17. I'm going to tell you something. I wish they had a Spotify playlist that was just Bibles opening. That is the best sound in the world. I'm being serious. You just don't hear it that much anymore. It sounds awesome. Time out. Let's just do it again. Everybody close your Bibles again. You're like, I just found it. Everybody get real quiet. Okay. Turn to John 17. Music. It's music. What's it called? ASMR? Is that what it is? Did I say it wrong? Okay, thanks. I was like, you know what I'm talking about. So John 17, this chapter of the Bible holds the only long, continual prayer of Jesus that we have in all four of the Gospels. Um, and what's awesome about this prayer, here's, y'all need to know this, genuine prayer reveals the true nature and heart of a person. When you hear somebody pray, when you hear somebody talk to God, like their true nature and heart comes out. So when we read John 17, when we read this prayer of Jesus, we're let, it's like a window into the true nature and the heart of Jesus. And it's the nature and heart of Jesus that I believe is going to captivate us as we lean into his prayer tonight. Scripture is even clear in Romans 8.34 and Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus still lives to make intercession for us. If you were to ask Jesus right now, you're alive, what do you do for a living? He's like, well, I'm praying and I'm praying for you. That's wild. So in this prayer, we're not just seeing like, oh, this is what Jesus prayed one time. We're seeing that this heart, this nature is what Jesus is still praying for us today. It's the same heart. It's the same motivation. It's the same nature that he is praying with. Um, so I want to look into it tonight and walk through it a little slower than, than normal. I'm only going to get through the first three verses. 
Part two will be next week. I'll meet you here at 7.30 instead of, I'm just kidding. No, just, I would love to do like, you know, multiple weeks of this. But we're going to look at John 17, one through three and walk through it slowly. Pray at the end, then we'll be done. Cool? Cool. So look, let's uh, go ahead and we're going to look at uh, John 17, one. Should come up behind me, but all of you have Bibles, so you're good to go. Um, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven. Pause. Yeah, this is how slow we're walking through it. So think about this scene. As you're reading the Bible, this is like a little uh, reading Bible hack for you. I know it's just like nature. It's like, pick up your Bible, John 17. And then just go kind of like, when Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, slow it down. Okay, when you read the Bible, slow it down. Think about the scene. What's going on when Jesus is praying? What's happening around him? What, he, what had he just done? What was he just talking about? Because when you get to this point in John 17, Jesus has done a lot from verses 13 to 16, not verses, excuse me, chapters 13 to 16. Chapter 13, we see they get to the upper room. This is the Last Supper. That's where he washes the disciples' feet. Uh, he does an in-depth, like, beautiful uh, teaching about the Holy Spirit here. I believe y'all just talked about that last week. Um, he talks about, he calls Peter out in love. Hey, my boy, you're going to betray me. Um, he, uh, or you're going to deny me. He says that one of them is going to betray me. He talks about a new command I give you, that you love one another. Matter of fact, the whole world's going to believe in me by the way that you love. He's done like, you can almost tell he's towards the end of his life. Because he's like, oh, you got to get, oh, by the way, like a new command. Remember, love one another. Um, oh, like, let me wash your feet. And in the same way, this is how you're going to serve the world. Hey, in this world, you're going to have trouble. I can imagine, like, his voice shaking because he loves these guys. He's like, guys, you're going to meet some stuff. But I'm telling you, take heart because I've overcome the world. It's like you can feel like, oh, I'm towards the end. I need you all to get some stuff. He does all of that. And then in chapter 17, it goes, I've been talking to the boys. Now I'm turning my head and my eyes and I'm looking to heaven. And that may seem like such a small shift, but it's actually a massive move of direction because what Jesus is doing, he's like, there's nothing else to teach. I've got no more people to heal. The only thing left to do is die. And so he prays. And it says he lifts his eyes to heaven. Now, Jesus didn't grow up in the south of America. He did not bow his head and close his eyes and pray. He lifted his head and opened his eyes and prayed. Uh, very different from what we normally do. And this is in, y'all know, um, you've heard, probably heard this before. Psalm 121 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Does anybody know what Psalm 121 was for the Jewish people? Anybody? It's like a, it's one of those of like, I may know, but I'm terrified to say it out loud, you know? Okay, Psalm 121 was, was called a Psalm of Ascent. And I believe it's, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it's in the 20s into the 30s that they would use these psalms as they were making their journey to the temple for worship. 
So it was like their to the temple playlist. I'd be like, where's that playlist at? Let me open David's. David's got some hits. Bam. So he imagined Jesus from the time he was a wee little Jewish lad. He and his family are making the pilgrimage to the temple. And this is one of the Psalms they would say, I lift my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. And it says they lift their eyes because the temple is up on a mountain called Mount Zion. And Mount Zion housed the temple, which was their most holy place of worship. That's where the presence of God resided. So when they were saying this, they were focusing their attention toward this mountain, toward the presence of God, their ultimate, like their, their most holy place. And they're like, my hope doesn't actually come from the hill, but it comes from, it comes from the one who the hill is hosting. And Jesus, from the time he is little, has this in his head. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where my help comes from. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. One thing I want to point out, I know a lot of us, like, had different backgrounds with the church. Just because something was repetitive in your youth does not mean it's religious. Jesus, his whole little adulthood, recited this over and over and over again. And here he is in the moment of greatest tension, the greatest thing he's ever faced, and what's ringing in his ears. What was taught to him as a child. Repetition ain't always religious. Some of us need to get that repetition down. So he lifts his eyes up and begins to pray, and he sets his focus on the one that is going to help him through the hardest thing he's ever faced. Now, I want everybody to think about what is the hardest thing that you've ever faced in life? Don't say it out loud, just think about it. What tools did you have to help you get through it? Because Jesus is about to face the hardest thing any human has ever faced. And he turns to prayer. Jesus is giving a beautiful model here. If every, the hardest thing a human can face in his power was in his prayer. Lift your eyes up past the hills to the one that your help comes from, the maker of heaven and earth. Spurgeon says this, Jesus poured out his soul in life through prayer before he poured out his life unto death. I'm telling you, y'all, prayer has power. Let's keep reading. So verse one again, after saying all these things, Jesus looked up to heaven and said, Father, pause again. <laughs> so Jesus lifts his eyes up to heaven in order to pour out his soul and addresses who? Addresses who? The Father. Hey, just making sure you're still with me. He addresses the Father. Once again, Jesus is revealing where his confidence found its footing. In this one word, Jesus is revealing that his prayer is rich in relationship. He's not speaking to someone he's not well acquainted with. He's not praying some formal ritual. He's praying according to relationship. And he is showing where his true confidence and comfort comes from, a kid talking to their dad. 
When life got most difficult, he relied on his relationship with his father. And I just want to tell you this. I know many of us have like, you may have a terrible dad. And you're like, I ain't never calling my dad when I'm in trouble. I'm going to tell you, the heavenly father is not like that. Jesus shows. He fell back on his sonship to the father as his ultimate source of confidence. There's this um, quote again by Spurgeon. He says this. Y'all listen to this. Herein Christ sets us an example. In all times of tribulation, let us fall back upon our sonship and our daughtership, our adoption and the fatherhood of our great God. This is beautiful. To our father let us go, for to whom else should a child so naturally fly? Any Lord of the Ring fans in here? My fellow nerds, my people. When I say, fly, you fools, do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, there's this scene where Gandalf, someone said, no. It's okay. It's okay. Fights. There's this scene where Gandalf fights off this like massive ogre, fire breathing thing. What? God bless you. I don't know. Galrog? Talrod. Cool, man. I got, tell me later. Yeah. That guy, and he's hanging off the edge of this cliff into this abyss, and he looks at them and goes, fly, you fools. When I read this Spurgeon quote, All I can think of, I hope this is in my head now for the rest of, when I'm facing a tribulation, when I'm facing the hardest thing I'll ever face, when I'm facing despair, when I'm facing discouragement, when I'm facing depression, when I'm facing abandonment, when I'm facing near death, I want to have this quote and the example of Jesus in my head, fly, you fool, to your father. Again and again and again and again. Where do I go? Fly, you fool, to your father. You're not a fool. Okay, I just want you to know that. But this this example of Jesus is showing when he's pressed, he flies to his father as his source um, and supply. Make sense? Sorry, bro, I couldn't hear you, man. I don't don't speak uh, elvish. All right, let's keep going. John 17 Towards the end, so he says, after saying all these things, Jesus looked to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Pause. Why is that significant? Why is this girl slowing down so much? Because I'm showing you how also to read the Bible. Think about it. What's he mean? What's he saying the hour has come? Um, Why is the hour so significant? Okay. Have you ever anticipated something so much that it's not that everything before it didn't matter, but it's like all of that was a prep to get to the thing that actually mattered. Okay, I'll give you an example. My friend Kaylin is here. Give him a little wave, Kaylin, down here. She's married to a great man named Davis. Um, Anybody been a bridesmaid in here? Yeah. Your girl, anybody been a bridesmaid more than 18 times? What's up? I'm broke. So, um... But listen, listen. 
So if you've ever been a bridesmaid or a groomsman, sorry, don't discriminate, a groomsman? Yeah, maybe an usher? Cool. I don't know. You helped pass out the programs? I don't know. You parked the cars? Whatever. So if you're a bridesmaid, though, you know the wedding could be at 9 p.m. You're showing up at 6 a.m., right? It's like, well, what are y'all doing the whole time? We're getting our hair done. We're getting our makeup done. We're joking around. We're drinking orange juice. Um, And the whole day is like this building up to, and Kaylin kept going, what time is it? I'm like, girl, it's 9 (laughs) a.m. Go a little further, she'd get her hair done. What time is it? 9.20. Like, we go take the pictures outside. What time is it? Oh, we passed lunch, girl. You need to eat. <laughs> Everything was elite. Then, we, then it was time to put her dress on. And I was like, ooh, this is a moment. But each time it was like, is it time? No. Is it time? No. Is it time? No. Until, Kaylin will remember, we're all lining. Kaylin, come here. Let's demonstrate. Come on up here. Give a hand for Kaylin. <laughs> so pretend this is the threshold of the exit, okay? Come back here, Kaylin. You remember. Come on. Right there. So I was the maid of honor. Hold the applause. And the whole time, Kaylin is holding my hand. And she's going, I'm okay. I'm okay, right? Yes. I'm okay. I'm okay. And, I'm, and one person at a time, and we keep moving a little closer. And I'm going, you're okay. She's going, I'm okay. And I'm like, almost time. She's going, almost time. We get to here. And I go, hey, girl. It's time. You're okay. (laughs) And she is. Davis is awesome. But here's what, don't leave yet. Here's the point. When Jesus said the time had come, what's happening is this perfect moment in history where everything before was like a drum roll to this moment. And it's this massive this massive moment where he's like, okay, I'm ready. I'm okay. The time has come. Thank you, Kaylin. (laughs) Why is this important? Well, four times before this in John, Jesus had said, it's not the time. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. The hour has not yet come. And in this moment, it's like Jesus is having a revelation. The time is now. This is beautiful because Romans 5 tells us that while we were still sinners at just the right time, Christ died for us. Listen, I need everybody in here to hear me. The timing of God is always perfect. Always perfect. And then some of you, you feel like you've been waiting through a lot or you've been anticipating a lot or you've been like, maybe you feel stretched in it. Jesus shows us that the most peaceful place to live is in the rhythm of this prayerful relationship with the Father that he will tell you when is the right time. How crazy is it that we get to listen to a God who is outside of time telling us when it is the right time? 
He's not controlled by it. It does not affect him. So to lean into his voice is to stay on rhythm with the path that God has laid out for us. Jesus showed us this at just the right time, and now the hour had come. Let's keep going. He prays that, Father, the hour has come. And then he says, glorify your son so he can give glory back to you. Now, at first glance, this may seem like a selfish prayer, right? Like if I had said, let's pray, and I said, Father, I pray that tonight you would glorify me in front of these Clemson students tonight. You'd be like, hey, just let me scoot out really fast. Just let me excuse me. And honestly, I wouldn't blame you because it sounds like pretty selfish. But Jesus is not praying a selfish prayer. Let me tell you what he is praying. To glorify means to reveal or make manifest all that God is and all that God has. So when Jesus is praying, Father, glorify your son, glorify your son, what he is praying is, Father, the time has come. Reveal to the earth that I am who I say I am. And what's crazy is that Jesus' means of glorification was about to come through the cross. The cross doesn't make any logical sense. The cross, the ultimate display of mortification, now becoming the display of glorification. The ultimate display of shame and death now becoming the display of beauty and life. And if this seems nonsensical, it's because it is. <laughs> First Corinthians um, chapter 1, verse 18 talks about this. That when we preach Christ crucified, it is actually nonsensical to the philosophers. It makes no sense to those who are religious, but to those who have been saved by it. It is the glory of God on display. And this is where I need, especially this generation, to hear me. If you expect your faith to be logically reasonable to a world around you, you will spend much of your life frustrated. The world will not understand. The basis of our faith is very illogical. Faith requires that we lean into what we do not understand, but to those who've been saved by the cross, it is the glory of God on display. It's the manifestation of who God is. A few things I want to show us that the cross does reveal about who God is. Number one, the cross reveals the compassion of God for humanity. I love how even Jesus, one time he's looking out, um, at a crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. The cross reveals God's heart of compassion for us. It reveals the sovereignty of God over evil. And number three, it reveals the finality of redemption for those who believe. God's compassion, God's sovereignty over evil, the finality of our redemption is put on display in the cross. Can I get a good amen from somebody who's experienced that? Amen. We're almost there, guys. What a beautiful prayer. Verse two, he says, for you have given him authority over everyone 
He gives eternal life to each one you have given to him. This is an unbelievable startling claim by Jesus Christ through his prayer. Because in it is actually a proclamation of his deity. I'm sorry. You've given him authority over everyone? He gives eternal life to each one you have given him? In Jesus claiming this, he is showing his deity. He is God. He is indeed ultimate authority. Philippians 2, 6 through 11 testifies to this, that through his perfect life, his death on the cross, and his resurrection, he has now been given the name that is above every name, that one day at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Make no mistake, saints in this room, Jesus has authority and he will put on display his ultimate authority. And it happened by means of the cross, I'm, I'm honestly trying to decide how deep to go in here because I want us to hear this. Jesus has the power to give eternal life. And only Jesus has the power to give eternal life. But listen, oh, how he wants to give it. 2 Peter 3.9 says that it's his desire that none should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. Listen, the heartbeat of the gospel is love. Matthew 22, what did Jesus say the greatest commandment was? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If that's the greatest commandment, what do you think the greatest sin is? Lovelessness. What sin has done is perverted our love. Is perverted our ability to love. By his ultimate display of love on the cross, Jesus made a way for our loves to come back into alignment. Because y'all know, come on, we're creatures driven by love. We do what we love. You don't say like, oh, I just know pizza. Okay. Oh, I just, I, I just know Clemson game days. All right. It's like, no, I love what happens when Christ put on display on the cross his love. He realigned our loves, and now our love can be pure again. Again, First to God and then to one another. It is the greatest act of love ever put on display in front of humanity. And here's what I need you to know. Okay, um, he gives eternal life to each one you have given him. I'm going to say this and then I'm going to move on. John 3, 16, we all know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. But here it's saying, well, I've given eternal life to those who you have given me. I just, somebody, this is for somebody in this room. Not only is Jesus God's gift to us, but did you know that you are God's gift to Jesus? Okay, that didn't land exactly how I wanted it to. Um, how stupid, how ridiculous, how overwhelming is it that one of Jesus's, Jesus's greatest treasure is you when you profess him as your, as your Lord and Savior? 
How differently would we live if we understand the treasure that we are to the God who first formed us? You are a gift to a God who needs nothing. His prized possession. Yes, Jesus is a gift to us, but if we would live under the right identity that we are also a gift to him, I'm telling you, that's where Christianity gets really light and really free and really fun. Jesus made a way for that. He wants to give that life. And in the last verse, it says this. He's the only way for this to happen because he says, this is the way to have eternal life. To know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. How do you know that you know? Like, how do you know that you know? Because he says, this is the way to have eternal life, to know you. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom you sent. How do you know that you know? Well, this word right here, to know, doesn't just mean to know. Because you were like, you just said that it's not about knowing, it's about loving. I did. But these things aren't mutually exclusive. This word here, to know, actually means to grow in intimacy and to learn to know. Listen, if the spiritual reality of Jesus Christ does not grow the rest of all our, our lives till it near about dominates it, then we haven't yet reached this. Do you understand what I'm saying? To know is to grow in our knowledge of God that would lead into an overflow into our Lives. That's how you know that you know. And there is, what's beautiful is there's always more to know. Oh, the depths of the riches and the glory of God. You could dig forever. You're never going to reach the bottom of his riches and his glory and his goodness. And one of my favorite displays of this is the dude who wrote this book, John. A real guy. Any Johns in the room? Hello? John? No Johns? This is unbelievable. Well, where? John. Our one true John. What's up, man? Hey, this might, I'm really, I'm not trying to like over-spiritualize anything, but that's ridiculous that you're the only John in here, this might be like exactly for you. Everybody else close your ears. So basically, <laughs> no, but John wrote the book. John is the one who called himself, he called himself the disciple who Jesus loved. That's not prideful. He knew. He realized, oh, I've been given as a gift. And there's this beautiful thing. This is where I want us to shift. Like, okay, what is this all? John reveals in this book that he knew. He had gotten captivated by Jesus. There's this beautiful encounter that happens in John 19. 
There's this beautiful encounter that happens in John 19. Jesus is hanging on the cross. He's been beaten. He's been abandoned. He's been betrayed. He's like near naked. And you know when you just, you feel most vulnerable, you start looking for people that you know. Where am I safe? Where am I safe people? Where am I safe people? And the only people that we see who stayed were a few of the faithful women that followed him. And John. And there's this awesome encounter where Jesus, he's hanging on the cross, y'all. And he looks at John and his, his own mom is there. And he says, John, this is your mom now. I need you to take care of her. Mary, this is your son now. He's gonna take care of you. And I'm trying to think of like what John would have felt like looking at the cross. This would have been excruciating to look at. Think of the person you love most in the world and you're having to watch them die like this. I'd probably turn my head too. But John is like, I'm gonna look longer because I can't believe that my friend, my teacher, my rabbi, my God is doing this for me. And I, it hurts to look, but I also can't look away because what kind of love is that? John called himself the disciple who Jesus loved because he'd seen it on the cross. And my invitation even close tonight is like, hey, if you're a Christian in here, can you look a little longer at the cross until it does something to your insides? This Easter, like before you just, you're probably going home for like to church with your family or maybe you're going here locally and don't just like, to be in Jesus. You know, don't just look a little longer at the cross and realize what Jesus did. And for the rest of your life, may you grow in the knowledge of what Jesus did. Because let me tell you what it did for John. John outlived all the other disciples, wrote the book of Revelation, wrote first and second John for sure, third John debated. But the thing that helped him persevere, the thing that gave him joy, the thing that gave him confidence, the thing that helped him get massive revelation from heaven, and the last prayer in the Bible is, come back, Lord Jesus, because he wanted to see him again. This is what it means to be captivated by him. So I'm gonna stop over speaking. I'm gonna pray. The band, you can go ahead and come up. And we're just gonna like leave some space. If you need to keep your journal out to write, maybe your phone to write, if you just need to sit. If you still feel like you haven't had that, I still feel too familiar, like let's just sit for a little bit. And then you respond however you need to. The prayer team is gonna be up around here with their, um, their glow sticks on. There's a prayer room out this way. And let's not just like, click into what we normally do at the end of a thing. Look a little longer at the cross. Tomorrow, at some point, look a little longer at the cross through prayer. 
Saturday before Sunday, look a little longer at the cross. Sunday when you're at church, look a little longer at the cross because I'm telling you, it is a captivating picture that will completely take over your life in the most beautiful way. So I'm going to pray. I'm just going to pray a blessing over you. Then we're just going to sit a little bit. Part of looking a little longer probably means sitting a little quieter and not getting uncomfortable with it. So I'm going to pray. And then we're going to do that. Sound good? All right, let me pray for us. Hey, we're going to do what Jesus said. Don't bow your head, close your eyes, lift your eyes up. You're like, this is weird. Yeah, let's, let's get weird. Can I pray with my eyes open? Yeah, he's cool. So let's captivate their Father. We thank you for the gift of Jesus. Would you captivate us? Help us not to grow so familiar with a God we barely know. Thank you that the, what the cross reveals to us. And I'm just gonna make my prayer simple. Change perspectives, change minds, change identities, eradicate insecurities, motivate hearts, tenderize the hardness. And may it be through a genuine encounter with you, Jesus Christ, through your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. Let's sit a little bit.